the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. Ben Karchival, CBSSports.com, will join us in a little bit. He is going to be on the scene at the Texas State Fair in Dallas uh, covering the Red River Showdown. Uh, So lots of Oklahoma, Texas, Big 12 talk coming up. But Barton, uh, we begin with my beloved USC Trojans. Keaton Slovis back ahead of the Notre Dame game. How uh, as and a, a couple of headlines to get to here and some some great Dabo Sweeney audio, but I wanted to start with Slovis because I'm I'm sitting here. It's Wednesday morning, you know, meditation for the locks pod. Do you think USC can go in there and just pull out the straight up upset? Did you see Michael Pittman's quote this week? I did not. Uh, it came out yesterday. Uh, he he was asked. What has he told the younger players about going on the road and playing at a place like Notre Dame? His quote was something to the effect of, um, I tell the guys just to embrace the suck. It's going to be cold and dreary or something, and so just embrace it and uh, enjoy it when we're running up the score at the end of the game. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I like it too. So there we go. You know, we got I, – I, I do think this. I mean, Keaton Slovis back is is pretty big because Matt Fink was a good story, but he was – he truly – like that's not – he's not – he's not capable of beating Notre Dame. And I think Keaton Slovis, uh, he, he might be. I mean, he's he's got – he's certainly more capable. He, he makes their offense more potent. He is – you know the downfield passing game works, and Michael Pittman is is probably uh, itching for a good day. And you know Notre Dame's a little beat up. Sean Crawford out um, in the secondary, and uh, they 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 got a shot. So it's going to be a fun game, and I kind of like that the rivalry is getting stoked heading into it. The uh, as as you're because the question for Notre Dame on CBS Sports HQ and associated platforms has been, you know, is it important that Notre Dame you know wins this game the Michigan game is there anything about style points like I I I look at this Notre Dame team and and my response has been like yeah Notre Dame is a good team but I don't know if this Notre Dame team is a 
to be trusted. It could beat uh, USC. It could beat Michigan and Ann Arbor, which would be a, a pretty big win in and of itself. But even then, I don't know if I'm to the point with this year's Notre Dame team where I think you should just be able to look at, yes, even a Virginia Tech team that's a mess, a Duke team uh, that just had a, a wild bananas game against Pitt, uh, Navy. Like I, I think you go down the rest of Notre Dame's schedule and you think, yes, those are likely wins, but I don't think this Fighting Irish team is uh, healthy enough or uh, maybe as as well-rounded of like a playoff championship type contender for us to be able to trust it to be like, okay, yeah, all you got to do is beat USC, beat Michigan, go the rest of the way, and you're still in the playoff conversation. I, I think that getting to 11-1 and one this year would be a pretty impressive feat for that team. I agree it would be, and I think it – I still think – I still lean that they'll do it, though this – I don't know. Do you think – I guess on the road at Michigan, that's that's in Ann Arbor, right? Correct. Uh, I guess that's probably the toughest game uh, on the slate, just on the surface. Uh, but I, I think I, – I guess what I'm getting at is I still expect them to win all the rest of their games. I still think for every single week in that vacuum, I think Notre Dame is the better team. But you're right. Like this isn't a team, and, and I don't think they can even look for style points. I think Notre Dame's just got to win, however they can win, because they're not good enough to look for style points. They're 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 a top ten to twelve team. They're not a top six team, and that top six is 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 the team is, is the group that's that's in the style points category. Um, so I just want to see you know strides offensively, really, as much as anything. And and it, it'll be you know last year, USC really was patient and disciplined and and took what Notre Dame gave them in the past game. Notre Dame didn't let them get downfield. And USC just sort of took the dink and dunk stuff, took the quick game stuff, and moved the ball down the field and got racked up some yardage on that. But eventually that that didn't last. Uh, and I think they're going to be challenged to be this, the same kind of discipline this this next week after watching what Washington did a couple weeks ago against USC, who just you know forced USC to go like two of eight on throws beyond ten yards. And that that's going to be the game plan for Notre Dame. So we'll see if USC's got the the discipline to to take what they give them. Um, some tough injury news. While we've got good injury news at USC, we've got some tough injury news coming out of Auburn as uh, Jartavius Booby Whitlow will be missing four to six weeks. Uh, this comes after the the loss in the swamp, and Auburn still got uh, LSU. It's still got Georgia in mid-November, so I guess you could potentially have him back for Georgia. It's got Alabama at the end of the season. Um, the the the. Tigers season went from, uh, oh my goodness, you know, they've got the best wins in the country. They're, you know, ESPN's strength of record metric has it up there near the top. And then a loss in Gainesville, the, the injury to Whitlow, the, it is easy to see how in our volatility, uh, that we're used to with the Tigers and the Gus Malzahn era, how things are starting to slip and slide just a little bit. How are you how, how are you handicapping the Tigers moving forward with the news that Whitlow's going to miss some time? I think that hurts. I I do, I, I think. Um, but I I don't know, man. I mean, Gus Malzahn just has to – Florida really looked like they cracked the code a little bit um, against Auburn last week. Just, 
you know, not bringing a lot of pressure, playing a lot of zone, forcing Bo Nix to make throws into a, a muddy picture. I mean, it, uh, man, man coverage, certainly you got to deal with some pressure, but at least you kind of know what you're throwing to. And I think Bo Nix struggled knowing what he was throwing into at times. I think that that Auburn defense or Florida defense was, you know, kind of kind of challenged that offensive line to just beat them straight up. Um and and they couldn't do it. I just think that this Auburn team without Booby Whitlow now, you know, that puts more pressure on Bo Nix. I don't know. Well, well, this is. I mean, I've, Auburn is the type of team that's good when you think they're bad and bad when you think they're good. Um, but it, that's not good news for sure. Yeah, I, I I tend to walk away from uh, or walk walk forward from this story thinking that Auburn has probably lost half a game to a game without Whitlow in there just because of how he had, you know, even even still with his career started to become even more comfortable and emerge and be something that was reliable. And to have something that is reliable and steady is what sets up everything else within that offense. And if they're not going to be able to get consistent yardage on first and second down, and if they're going to have to, you know, get creative right out of the gates, then things get really, really tough on Bo Nix. So I've, you could you could look at Auburn moving forward and still think this is a team that could go what nine and three. Oh yeah, yeah, I yeah. think so. But I mean, so like I still think uh, Auburn, LSU. I mean, this, the the idea was between Florida, LSU, Alabama, Georgia. Can they get two? Right. A- and I think without Booby Whitlow, they can't get two. You know, maybe can can you sneak one in? I'm still a little skeptical, but I guess nine and three is still is still um, still something you can shoot for. So when they come back from the idle week, they are at Arkansas, and then after LSU, they are at home against Ole Miss. So Arkansas and Ole Miss, do you think that either one of those is a potential upset spot? I don't know. Ole Miss is Ole Miss is kind of sneaky. I'm sort of warming up to this old Miss team. That's the dentist. Kind of, That's the dentist talking. They're kind of fun, but but I but I think defensively, old Miss doesn't have the the personnel or to 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 slow down Auburn. I think that's the type of team that Auburn doesn't. You know, they can just do the old Auburn stuff. The old Gus Mal- roll out the old Gus Malzahn game plan, and I just don't think old Miss is good enough. So so no, I don't, I don't think those teams can beat Auburn. Um, did you get a chance to hear anything from, uh, Debra Sweeney's press conference this week? Why don't you, why don't you tee it up? Okay. Hear it. Because, uh, the Roy bus is back. Here we go. But you know, I mean, it's, it's fun too. I mean, I, I had an open week, so I went back out to the shed this week and I took the tarp off the Roy bus, just took it off. You know, I thought we were off the Roy bus for a while. I just took it off, put, pumped the tires back up, gave it a bath, a little oil change, Ran down there to the five-dollar oil change, fluffed up the seats a little bit. We're back on the Roy bus, man. I mean, here we go. <laughs> I mean, we knew it was coming. We knew it was coming. He loves this so much. Oh, it's just a gift. It's a gift from God right now that Dabo gets to just tee this whole thing back up again. Trevor Lawrence tells uh, the media this week he's 
he uh, is is glad that the pressure of being number one is off so that they can just uh, get focused and get working. Also, some uh, interesting reporting as uh, Trevor Lawrence also told Tiger Illustrated, and it's been uh, confirmed by the state and some of those other local Clemson media outlets that um, you know, he underwent an MRI. There was some concern about his shoulder after the Texas A&M game. All things are good. Uh, Dabo Sweeney said after the North Carolina game, we're not putting him in bubble wrap. And so, you know, as, as Clemson now gets this chip back on its shoulder and as it's got Florida state coming to death Valley this weekend, uh, you know, what, what's your what's your compass say for uh, for the Clemson Tigers in terms of your expectations here over the next several weeks? Uh, just nauseating Roy Bus talk, basically. <laughs> Na- nause- <laughs> nauseating all shucks talk. Um, but no, I mean they're they're gonna get. I mean, I, I don't I don't know that we're ever gonna be convinced that they're the best team in the country during the regular season. I really don't. But that doesn't mean they're not going to win the national championship. I still, I still think we we have seen this before from Clemson. We've seen it. We've seen it saw in 2016. And so, um, I think, and, and, and I think they need to, there's, there's, but like, they'll get better. I think the offensive line's got to get better. I think the, the, the pass game needs to start incorporating or finding some underneath options that can replicate or replace Hunter Renfro's role I think they've got to uh, become more than just a jump ball passing game which is sort of what they've become and and I think they'll they'll all sort they'll sort through all of that but I'm I'm not I'm not convinced that like I don't think by the I don't think by I think we'll still be doubting Clemson by the end of the season do you no no I'm, you don't I'm you think a- you think they'll flip the script and look like the number one team before ACC championship game yeah I think it might start this week. I mean, that's a big number. That's a big. It's a big number, but I. That's, I don't know, a sneaky man. Sneaky number, like that's a that's the type of number where it looks too big, but there's got to be a reason for that. So my my thinking there is that Clemson might win some games, you know, like forty-one to ten. Like 28 seems like a perfect number for most of these games the rest of the way. And I think that it will be fourth quarter, uh, you know, either other teams going to be trying to kick down the back door or Clemson's going to be icing it. I, I wonder if, I I wonder if the whole chip on the shoulder thing is just is, you know, we talk about Dabo loving it, but I, I do wonder if there's something to, you know, Trevor Lawrence and some of the other comments about just being able to, to sit back and, and dial in, right? Cause you're, they still haven't lost a game and yet they've been bounced from the number one spot and no one's talking about them. The fact that the players, uh, the, the fact that the players are throwing out quotes, like everyone says we suck is, uh, means that the, the Roy bus is it's loaded up, man. Here's Every- the thing, man. Like this, that is, that makes like a material difference. Like I, I really think, <laughs> That the fact that they're drop they drop from one, it seems it seems like the type of thing that we can overanalyze and and I think it I think it makes a re- like legitimate difference, and and I think these guys like legitimately are going to get more dialed in now, uh, playing with the 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 figurative chip on your shoulder is I think it's actually 
something that can particularly in, in college, particularly at this stage, like maybe it's less so in the NFL, but I mean, hell, we seen we seen Tom Brady get on a, you know, get on a mission. Yeah. And, you know, he, he, he uses everything he can to just generate motivation. And so I think that, you know, Clemson's definitely found a motivation source. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where they can, they can straddle the line between, you know, making sure people keep doubting them and 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 blowing people out enough to gain confidence because <laughs> well, well, if they if they roll up a bunch of 40 point wins again now you know maybe they might not be able to play that line for for, for more than a couple weeks well the uh when when Dabo's talking about it that's one thing and I, I get my lols in but when the players are saying it too i'm i'm right there with you man like i i think that in in the mind of a college football player uh who's who lives in the world uh what you know when we made fun of uh Jimbo Fisher uh, team together. Everybody achieves more like these 19 to 22 year olds live in wor- a world filled with like motivational catchphrases and psychological, you know, games and, and nothing's better than what you're going to be able to generate inside yourself. And if you truly believe that everyone else is doubting you, I'm with you. I think, I think that it, uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see if Clemson does flip the switch here before Florida state. Yeah. Uh, what what would you make of Clemson if they win this game, thirty four to twenty? Um. It it's if they win this game, thirty four to twenty, it probably has get because Florida State has a talent le- a like a a pretty good talent level. It has at least given us some better ideas about some of the. It, it, the Clemson defensive front, the Clemson defensive backs that are really talented, but have had some bad games uh, so far, the, you know, Clemson's offense, the versatility we've talked about, uh, you know, they've got T Higgins and Justin Ross, but you know, where does Amari Rogers fit in and how do you get some versatility to a passing game that is really relied on the, on the home run balls? I think that 34 to 20 at least gives us some concrete, um, places to be concerned about as we handicap Clemson moving forward, but I still probably think they win all the rest of their games. Yeah, yeah, but you might, but you might not be quite as bullish on the whole. Like Clemson will be number, we'll think Clemson's number one again before the regular season's over. Correct. Right? Correct. Like it'll, it'll create some, some more doubt. I mean, they're coming off a of bye week. They've got this is the, the line is twenty seven. Uh, let's you know, let's see what they can do. Absolutely. All right. Coming up on the other side, Ben Kerchival talking Red River Showdown and much, much more next. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. 
You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. And now it's our pleasure to welcome to the Cover 3 podcast, Ben Kercheval. Ben is uh, our Big 12 savant. He is going to be at the Texas State Fair. He's going to be enjoying all of the fried food, and he's going to have his eyes and his fingers and his mouth and his ears just taking in everything from uh, what is the premier showdown in the Big 12. It's Oklahoma and Texas, the Red River Showdown. Uh, ben, man, game week. Uh, how are you doing? Are are you packing a last? Are you packing um, like adjustable waist size pants for for any kind of food eating that you're going to be doing? How are we feeling right now? What, what right. are you What are you looking? What are you going to get fried? What right. are you going to fry that we don't know? Okay, so the first thing is um, I do have the elastic sweatpants uh, ready to go. Thanks. They've been on lay. They've been on layaway. Here's the thing, though. Chip, you, you kind of know this because it's the running joke in our Slack room. Bart, I, I don't know if you're maybe as up on this. I don't know that they have anything fried vegan down there at the state fair. Uh, that's uh, going to uh, be uh, that's going to be a little tough. Um, the, I will say this. In the past, like one year I went and, and I think I consumed somewhere in the neighborhood of, cause you, you bring in money and then they give you tickets, right? And then the tickets are what you use to pay for the fried food. And I think one year I used upwards of a hundred dollars worth in tickets. And this is everything from the fried Oreos are definitely an all timer. The fried s'mores are good. Uh, the fried, I had the fried beer one year, which is the guy actually found a way because normally what they would do is they would fry dough and they would put like a, not a seasoning, but kind of like a powder on it to resemble it. That's what they would do for fried Coke. But for fried beer, the guy actually figured out how to make these little pockets. And he would, just like you would inject a brisket or something with beer, he would inject these little dough pockets with beer, toss them in the fryer real quick bring them out. So when you bit into it, you, you couldn't really bite into it in, in half. You had to sort of pop it in and eat it whole because the beer would gush out. And uh, it was terrible. It was, it, was like, it was like eating hot beer, right? It's like you wouldn't <laughs> drink a beer that sitting out in the sun for an hour. Just, but it's, uh, it's a novelty thing, you know? You do it for the experience. So uh, I'll, I'll figure out a couple of things I can do. I'll probably do more of like the sweets, but I can't do like the corny dog anymore. You know, when I was in Bolivia uh, in high school, I had fried blood, um, which was which was pretty legit. So I, that might be vegan. I don't know if you can get get some uh, get someone to, to to step up and fry some blood for you. Um, <laughs> maybe they haven't seen that in the state fair yet. That's but after the game. You get to do that after the game. Little post game blood stash. <laughs> yes. No. You go. You go for like the funnel cake though. I mean, that's a that's a standard yeah, issue. I mean, yeah. yeah there's, and the thing is too is it, it, this is it, it's going to sound wasteful because it is wasteful. <laughs> you can only do like a little bit of each. Right. 
you know, you can't eat a whole funnel cake and then just go go in for round two on like a you know fried you know T-bone steak. You know, it sounds great, but that's a that's a quick way to to get out of there on a, on a stretcher. I mean, you so gotta, gotta pace yourself. Ne- next question before we get into the 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 meat of the game and the matchup. Uh, you didn't go to Texas, but you are an Austin native, and I'm just curious as an Austin native. Um, are how offended are you by horns down? Is that uh, is that is that tough to swallow for you when you see that on the TV and then there's kids around? I'm offended if you don't do it. <laughs> I mean, it's, my thing is, if you're gonna give the horns up, then you should be able to give the horns down. And what I don't understand is why now that suddenly a penalty, and if Texas gives the horns up after they score or whatever, then that should be a penalty. Or better yet, none of it's a penalty. Because if you don't like them doing the horns down, keep them out of the end zone. I, I just, the whole, and I, I've typically pushed back against the whole idea that everybody in the world caters to Texas. But good Lord, that's kind of catering to Texas if you just say, we're going to start punishing horns down. I think, I mean, I, I, I fall in line with, I think there should be more celebrating. It's the dumbest, it's the dumb, it is the single dumbest thing in yeah. college football right now. The fact that horns yeah. down is this controversial gesture that now Lincoln Riley has to like make a statement about and say, our players have been instructed not to put the horns down. Like, and, and, and Tom Herman, who is, is sort of a, I mean, as a head coach, like that's a guy that is is fairly, I don't know, animated in the way he can. Yeah, he's a little, he's got a little bravado in his. If you yeah. Will. Can can we go back to the Drew Locke mocking yeah. from the yeah. bowl game? Yeah. yeah. And he's and he's leaning into this stuff, and it's like, give me a break, man. And like, I, but. And I like uh, I like Sam Ellinger too. I he's a nice kid. Yeah, he's, he's a good player, but he had that tweet last year where he's like, no one will ever dis. I'm like, man, shut up. Like just, it's someone did the horns down. It, it's not the, not the biggest thing in the world. And actually Barton, you, you mentioned I was an Austin native. I, I should clarify. I was born and grew up partially in West Virginia. I actually grew up in Morgantown. And last uh, year when West Virginia beat Texas and the whole horns down thing, like really took off. For them, it was so funny too, because you know, horns down has been a thing forever, but it was like it just got. It's like it just the snail mail finally got to West Virginia about horns down, and they got <laughs> penalized for it, and now they can't stop doing it. It's their favorite thing to do ever since. Well, when you beat Texas, I mean, that's, that's what you got to you got to do it. Um, all right, so let's let's start with the Longhorns because this is a, a team that's a little bit banged up and um, you know has put together a profile so far where I think we had the LSU game as sort of a peak of interest, and then uh, along the way they've been sort of piecing it together, quality wins, but but nothing that has really jumped above the fold. And I guess we could say the same for Oklahoma later. But like as you take the temperature of the the Texas program heading into this massive week and uh, the, the real meat of the Big 12 schedule, what kind of sense are you getting about um, a, this team? 
team because I sometimes I believe the conversation about the program as a whole under Tom Herman and what kind of steps forward it's taken like those those conversations uh, feel very big picture but in the moment uh, where do you think the Longhorns are at I, I think Texas is in a spot where because they lost the LSU game and they had an opportunity to win that one because yeah. they they had their problems in the red zone, specifically near the goal line. And I think if you look back on that, Texas goes, man, we, we had an opportunity to win that one and, and we did it. And so I think looking ahead to this Oklahoma game, it would be it would be really tough for a program that feels like it has at least been on the cusp of a, uh, of arriving. I mean, Tom Herman will tell you straight up, like, we're not happy with where we're at. We're not where we want to be. We want to be in the playoff, you know, every single year. Uh, but in order to do that, you got to get those wins when, when they come around, when those opportunities come around, you got to get them. Didn't get, uh, get it done against LSU, although they were close, certainly closer than anybody has been so far this year. And, they feel like they they can turn that corner by beating Oklahoma for the second time in a row in, in the regular season, and uh, and I think you know this team, even though they have a lot of sort of new starters on defense this year, I don't think it's too dissimilar from uh, the team last year. Certainly with Ellinger and Duvernay on offense, uh, the skill guys that you know put up a bunch of yards against Oklahoma's defense last year is are, are back. So I think they feel really good about their chances. That being said, I, I talked to Tom Herman on Monday for just a little bit, and he recognizes the immense challenge that this particular Oklahoma offense brings because of the injection of Jalen Hurts and the designed runs to what is already kind of a really efficient running game. And uh, it's going to be tough. I, I don't know that. Texas defensively has the answer to everything that they want to do, especially, like you said, because they're so banged up on the back end. But I think they feel really confident offensively that they can go toe-to-toe with this team. They just have to be able to finish drives. And then a lot of times in those high-scoring games, you got to get a, you don't have to get every stop, but you got to get a few key stops. I think you kind of you touched on it a little bit, but – We've seen Oklahoma be this dominant offense now for a few years, obviously under Lincoln Riley, and this is no this 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 team is no different in terms of the efficiency, explosiveness, productivity. But is this how, I guess how different is this team? Is the challenge different? Because um, as I think about this game beginning of the week, without digging too much, I think about. In the, in the same way I thought about last year, you know what? This Texas defense got to get a couple of interceptions. They got to turn the ball over or yeah. turn turn Oklahoma over a couple times. But uh, you know, as you talk and as I think about it, really, like it's it, it might just be a totally different challenge because Oklahoma might just choose to lean on the run game and 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 just let Jalen Hurts sort of bully ball Texas yeah. a little bit, give them a taste of their own medicine. So I, I'm curious when whether it's from talking to Tom Herman, whether it's just from. Um, you know, watching Oklahoma this year, like ha- what, what is your take on this Oklahoma offense as compared to the others we've seen? Yeah. You hit on it with Jalen and, and his run game. Uh, 
Tom Herman was like, or it was Tom Herman, and then I talked to Matt Wells very briefly too, head coach at Texas Tech, because they've already played Oklahoma this year, and they mentioned uh, Hertz's lower body strength. That kid, that kid's thick with a couple C's, man. I mean, yeah. he got, got some lower body strength. You know, he's got some good butts going on out there. So he, I think, <laughs> with that running game, uh, it's a plus one. You know, Barton, it's plus one in the run game. Because they use him on those designed runs. And then when you inject Kennedy Brooks, who has a lot of great open field speed, uh, Ramondre Stevenson. And then when I think when they get down more into either third down and short situations or red zone situations, goal and to go situations, I think that's where Trey Sermon really thrives. And they've done a good job too. We always talk about Lincoln Riley and what he does offensively to cater to each of these quarterback skill sets. And certainly he does a great job making that offense quarterback friendly uh, to highlight what they do. Well, I, I think Oklahoma has also low key done a great job developing those running backs. I think sermon, even though he's more of their thunder to their lightning uh, type of running back, he looks like a more complete guy this year uh, in terms of his vision and his burst. Uh, Bill Biedenbaugh, who's their offensive line coach and, and I, I think the primary play caller, is sort of the triple threat for assistant coaches. Great recruiter, great developer, good play caller, or you know, good uh, you know, offensive mind in that sense. Uh, he's done a great job building up that offensive line. And you're right. I, I think the narrative of Oklahoma is that they are just this passing finesse type of team, and, and that's not true at all. They're a really physical run or especially this year run oriented offense and this game even though there's going to be a lot of speed on the field and a lot of skill there is an element where it's going to be won or lost in the trenches and and uh the x factor for texas is really going to be this defensive line it's a new look group this year uh they don't have the most sacks or pressures uh as far as d lines go but I think they're a very active group. And um, and uh, to me, the best way to really approach this is what kind of pressure can you get up the middle? Because one thing about Hurts, and there's a lot to love about his game, is if you can kind of bull rush him up the middle, I don't want to say he's a one-read quarterback and, and go, but I think there's an element where you can have some success getting up the middle on him, getting him off his read, and I think he'll abandon the play sometimes a little quicker than he would like. Mm. How do you how do you judge the offensive line for Oklahoma had lost uh, ton, like tons from last year? How yeah. would you grade that group? Because sometimes I mean, but just those groups get better. Like when you've got a whole bunch of turnover on the offensive line, uh, I think that what you would hope to see if you're an Oklahoma fan is some improvement from the beginning of September to the beginning of October. You know, how do you think that group is coming along? I just looked it up now. 7.84 yards per rush. <laughs> pretty good. You're pretty good. Uh, 10 touchdowns. On 30, uh, about 37 attempts a game. So they're not one of those teams that gets all of its yards on pure volume. You know, I mean, they kind of pick and choose their spots to run. Uh, 
Yeah, like you said, I mean, kind of a new look group this year. And even though Texas's defense has its problems, it's it's obviously I think the most talented group they'll have faced yet. Uh, but they've done better, I think, better than expected through the first five games, considering the turnover. Uh, you know, I think some of those numbers will come down a little bit as the year progresses. Sure, but they've done. When you go against weaker competition, it's, yeah, you understand that the competition's weaker, but are you doing what everyone expects you to do and, and then some? That's always your, your a good first start, and, and they have. I mean, they've just they've been blowing people off the ball. Uh, they've been giving Hurts lanes to, to run. Uh, like I said, Brooks has been a, a really great open field weapon for them. I mean, they've, they, they've done a really nice job. I think Bill Biedenbaugh, if he's not on the short list for some head coaching opportunities after this year, I, I think he will be in earnest. So the game is, uh, I mean, 10 and a half points spread here on the game. Like how's, how do you imagine it playing out on Saturday? Normally, if you give me a double digit spread for two teams that are ranked within like five spots of each other, I'm going to be like, mm, and at a neutral site, no less. I, Normally, that would scare me away. I'd go, I think I'm going to just kind of roll with the favorite here. But I think Texas has a real shot at this. Uh, again, it, it just it comes down to can you disrupt Hurts sort of from the get-go and and win not maybe every single one of those battles up front, but you know, you got to win enough of them to give your offense a chance to – to go out there and, and sort of play keep up. My initial pulse on the situation was actually thought the defenses would, would play a little bit better than expected. Some of that is just pure energy and adrenaline of, of the game. Some of that is, I think you have two really good defensive coordinators in this battle. I mean, Alex Grinch has already turned a corner uh, with this group. Not that that's very hard. I mean, they operated with literally zero margin for error last year because of how bad the defense was. Um, Oklahoma did it, uh, and they still went out and won 11 games. They, they don't have to quite cut it that close to the edge this year. Uh, Kenneth Murray is a really active linebacker for them, and so defensively, I think Oklahoma is a little, certainly a little improved. Texas, uh, Todd Orlando just does a really good job, and I think considering all the injuries they've had, it certainly could have been worse having played, you know, Oklahoma State and LSU already. Um, so I, my initial thought was I thought the defenses were going to settle in a little bit more than expected. But I think given how physical Texas is on offense and then to Barton's point, how Oklahoma's offense is a little bit meatier this year than you would normally have with them. I think that's going to wear down over the course of the game. And obviously, with guys like C.D. Lamb, uh, Charleston Rambo, Devin DuVernay, you're going to get those big plays over the top. So I still think this is going to be a high-scoring affair. These are also, Chip, I, I did a little bit of research. Uh, the, the Collectively, the most efficient and productive offenses since that 2008 game, uh, when it was Colt McCoy, Sam Bradford, that was 45-35, uh, Jordan Shipley running the, the kickoff back for the touchdown. Uh, Oklahoma is more productive than uh, at this point last year with Kyler and Baker. 
Uh, certainly Texas is more productive than anything they've had in the last decade. So even though those defenses are, I think, playing a little bit ahead of schedule, I think those offenses eventually take over high scoring. I think both of these teams get into at least the 40s, and it's, uh, I think it's a, it's a classic shootout. But I think Texas, I think Texas covers. I don't know that I can quite pull the trigger on them winning straight up, even though it wouldn't surprise me. But I, I, I think 10 and a half is, is a pretty easy cover for me. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that Vegas didn't in factoring in a little bit of the Tom Herman bump there. Uh, I, I was surprised to see that line double digits. Um, but I, I want to get a little bit, dig into your expertise around the Big 12 a little bit too beyond just this game. And, and probably the most interesting team right now to me is, is Baylor. And yeah. so I think the simple question is, is Baylor for real? Yeah, I think so. Because their because because their defense is for real. Yeah. I mean that's and that's something where you know you go back to the, the peak Art Briles era in Waco, and they were just scoring so often that you never really had to think about defense all that much. And Matt Rule comes in, and I, I thought it was a great hire when they got him. He's a character guy, a high character guy. Good football coach, good developer, good evaluator. And and he comes in and yeah, he doesn't have the ties to Texas, but you don't necessarily need those ties. You need good assistant coaches, you need good recruiters, and you need to have a, a, a culture and a and a process in place that people believe in. And here they are, year three, undefeated, I think way ahead of schedule. Normally when you come in and you say, All right, they have freshman walk-ons trotting out there on defense in year one. All right, we'll call that a year zero. That's going to take at least you know three or four years before that starts to turn around. Uh, we know that they have some skill on offense, certainly, but I think collectively it's going to take a while. Well, here they are in year three, and I, I don't know that they're one of the top two teams in the Big 12, but I think they're right there on the cusp. I would say the gap between – Texas and Oklahoma or uh, and Baylor is probably smaller than the gap between those three and everybody else. Uh, like I said, I mean, the defense is good. Those linebackers are real active for them. I, I think they have a great defensive front. Charlie Brewer is underrated nationally uh, for, I think, how efficient he is. And, uh, they, and then they still have speed to burn on the perimeter. Uh, and the, Matt Rule has done a great job. I, I don't I don't know if he will answer the call to the NFL at some point. I would imagine that he does. But until that day comes, if it comes, uh, I'm a big fan. I'm a really big fan. I, I think they play disciplined. I think they play smart. And uh, they do a lot of the little things that I don't know that an Art Browse Baylor team always did. Because again, it's not—it's just a different way of doing things. But our browse teams were like, we're going to go really, really, really fast, and we're going to just—we're going to confuse you, and we're—and then just go, and we're going to lean on that. And I think with Matt Rule, it's a slower pace, it's a little bit more physical, straight up, hat on hat. And I tell you what, those kids have bought into it, and they're—they're they're, they're seeing the fruits of that. 
So I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit because you were talking over the course of that answer, you mentioned somewhere along the way, Texas and Oklahoma tier. And I don't know if you meant that they're on the same tier, but I'm going to ask you that question. What I, I want you to tier, you don't have to rank one through 10, but right. I want you to tier, I want you to tier out the big 12 is Oklahoma on a tier by itself. Is Oklahoma, Texas on a tier by itself? Is there Oklahoma one big tier? And then Kansas, like do, can you look? Can you tier? give me the ten and, and and tear them out? Yeah, the Kansas tier. Um, Oklahoma's in a tier by itself. Agreed. Then I'll put Texas, and I, I'm bullish on Baylor, so I'll go ahead and throw because I put this Barton. This is my tier of yeah, they're good, and and on a good day they could beat Oklahoma, but really it is on a on any given day these teams can beat each other up. Right? These are the kind of the next group of teams. I would say Texas, Baylor. Iowa State, I would say those are my next three. That's it? Draw the line after that? Yeah, I'll draw the line after that. I I, know, I think Oklahoma State is the next one <laughs> at, the, at that third tier. Uh, Spencer Sanders has, is, a, is an all-talented – he's a talented kid. He's, he's, he's going to be very, very good for them. I, I think he's just – He's shown a little bit of inexperience. He's having some ups and some downs. And I think if you put Chuba Hubbard, Tylen Wallace on a team with a junior Spencer Sanders, I think they're in that tier. Uh, right now, they're just to me, they're kind of on the cusp of that third one. And that third one is where you would probably have just about everybody except Kansas. All right. So you can probably put about what five, what's that, five teams in that uh, tier? Give or take. Yeah, sounds right. That, I think that's that's probably where I would have it too. You could, I think, you could make an argument that there is only three tiers: Oklahoma, Kansas, and everyone else. Uh, but I I lean towards towards your your take as well. What about Texas Tech? Is Texas Tech pure? Is is Texas Tech by virtue of beating? Oklahoma State proven that it doesn't that it is in the thick of the middle. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, Jet, the legend of Jet Duffy grows every week. <laughs> yes. Big fan of Jet Duffy, and uh, yeah, I mean, there there some of these programs too. It's a little hard to tell because they're they're and I don't want to say in flux, but they're it's new. I mean, Matt Wells is a new coach. You know, I mean, Neil Brown's a new coach, although I, I think we have a more definitive idea of where West Virginia is in the rebuilding process. They play hard. I mean, Neil coaches them up. He puts them in positions to be successful. Their defense, I actually thought, played pretty well against Texas, despite what the scoreboard says. But, you know, they're a little bit more of a rebuilding process, year zero. I think, uh, I think Texas Tech can, on any given Saturday – play and, and you know especially at home beat most most big 12 teams but I, again i think you can probably say that for at least half that conference well we've got several weeks to uh to to revisit and uh and pin you down in different places but on october 9th uh, it sounds like you believe oklahoma is playing in the big 12 championship game who do you think yeah. they're playing 
all those, I think Bart and I were big Iowa State stands at the start of the year. And, you know, the Cyclones may yet rattle off some wins here. They, they had a couple of close losses to start. But I yeah, saw, like, let, I saw, let's – Go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, because, I, like, everyone's – like, Iowa State outgained um, Iowa significantly. They outgained Baylor uh, by a pretty healthy margin, too. So – they do have two losses. Ten and two looks unlikely, but this is like I, I, I think you're. I don't know whether you're you're circling towards having them in the Big Twelve championship game. That might be, that would that be a strong finish. But this is still like a really good team. So I was about to say, and you actually kind of made the point for me. Uh, they rank in the top ten of yards per play differential. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so they're so the the results have have not quite followed that um and by the way the and i saw that on the twitter machine the other day it's it was from an iowa state fan i i can't source it right off the top of my head but uh but you know the other teams in that uh category barton were the ones that you would think right oklahoma uh lsu bama etc etc uh but iowa state's right there so that to me that indicates the wins are about to come and i i don't I, I don't know. I think they'll split Texas, Oklahoma. They might get they might get one of those. Um, but yeah, I think they're probably more of a nine and three team. I, that can be good enough to get into the Big Twelve title. Um, at this point, I'd probably say it's it's Oklahoma, Texas. But I would not give up on my Iowa State pick just yet. And um, and we just spent a whole bunch of time talking about Baylor. I, I don't know that. They'll do it, but I think they'll be one of those teams where, you know, that first weekend in November, they're still in the race. So I would say, you know, you had the two favorites, but I think there's another two teams still kind of you know, poking their head in there. What do you think, Barton? Uh, I mean, Oklahoma and... I don't know. Like, I don't know why I, I'm reluctant to, to go give Texas. up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I, I, Iowa State fans, Barton Simmons has already given up on the Cyclones. He's, <laughs> he's done. I, yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna hang. I'm gonna hang in there. I'm gonna just keep on hanging in there with Iowa State. I'll just hang in there. You I, know what? Trust the process, Barton. Yeah, trust the process. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, trust the process. I'm. I'm gonna go uh, Texas. And I'm gonna go a little bit further, and I, I think that uh, I think Texas might win on Saturday. I, I think I that was, could happen I too. I was close to pulling the trigger. I was close. I don't think that is a. I don't think that is a far out pick. I think uh, I think I might be on that Texas uh, Texas money line, Texas against the spread, and the under. Just coordinate it all. With Sam yeah. Sam Ellinger just just plotting together four and five yard rushes because that's how you get halfway to a first down. Yeah. Well, I, I I also think that this weekend is where we find out if Oklahoma is good enough to go undefeated because Agreed. even if they win this game, if if Texas covers and I, I I kind of expect them to cover, then I then I will continue to think as I do now that Oklahoma's got a loss in 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 there somewhere with 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 the Texas game included as the one of the potential losses if if this is like a 20 point win or something then i think i i do some recalibrating on on oklahoma and all of a sudden i'm not sure anyone could beat us this, this is a great stat too sporting news un- unearthed this gem 
since 1990, first-year quarterbacks uh, in the Red River Showdown, 2-14-1. Interesting. So now I, I think the, the context of that and what you could sort of infer from that little nugget is that and, that, and that is against uh, quarterbacks who have had at least one start. So obviously we're talking about Jalen Hurts relative to, to Sam Ellinger here. Uh, but I think the idea being that the, the moment is very big and it's, it's hard to, for an inexperienced person to, to kind of come away with a win in that situation. I, but Hurts is an X factor because he's played in the SEC championship game. He's played in a national championship game. I mean, he he has been there, even if he hasn't "quote unquote" been there before. So it's uh, that's one of those little pieces of information where y- you could ride on the side of history, or you know, you could say, I, I think he's an exception to the rule. Well, he's not used to playing at noon Eastern time. I mean, Alabama got slated at noon Eastern time against Southern Miss and just threw a hissy fit. This is an early yeah. start for Jalen Hurts. Look, look for him to come. Luckily, uh, we know this game's going to last about four and a half hours. So look for him to come alive in the second half. It's probably the bet. <laughs> uh, good stuff. All right. Well, Ben, thank you so much. We'll be sure to uh, cycle back in. And uh, when we, we got more to chat about and chew on, be sure that you follow him on Twitter at Ben Kercheval. Uh, he will be on the scene in Dallas. He will be uh, not consuming the fried beer, but maybe looking for fried blood after the game and uh, and given all of his wisdom and expertise from the press box. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Deserve. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.